Well, thank you so much. It was fun to see everybody up here, especially little Davey coming up to participate. What a cool experience in the, in the kids' lesson. <laughs> when was the last time someone called you? I don't know, whatever. All right. So uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series in Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6, and uh, uh, I'm excited to dig into that together. If we haven't met before, my name's Nick, and it's, fun, it's great to be here together this morning. And uh, if you would pray with me, uh, we're going to do that and then uh, jump into Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that um, as we sang that we do, in fact, have victory in you, that we... Um, we don't have to be afraid, that we don't have to, um, God, wonder um, where we're going to end up. Uh, but Lord, that as we, um, as we look towards the future, we know that the victory is won. Uh, we don't have to wonder, even as Pastor Steve was just talking about, how we're going to get there. Um, but that you've already, um, you've already secured that for us. Um, and that when we place our faith and our trust in you, that, um, God, we can rest um, rest well and, and rest with peace and with hope and with joy, knowing that our future is secure in you and with you. And we thank you for these things in your name. Amen. So how many of you guys have ever been really afraid in your life? Anyone ever been really afraid? All right. I remember, I mean, I think everybody's been really afraid at some point, right? Um, I remember a, a couple different fear moments, okay? There's all different types of fear, right? There's all different types of things that induce fear for us, okay? So um, growing up, I really enjoy roller coasters, okay? Love it. Love going out, up on a roller coaster, okay? Um, the worst part of the roller coaster is the part where you're climbing to the top of whatever thing you're going to come down, right? That part where you're, like, getting up to that really high point, and here's the thing, like, I love those roller coasters. I love speeding down the thing. I hate climbing up. I love speeding down. I love doing the loops and going upside down, all that stuff. For whatever reason, I'm like, hey, you know what? That looks fun. And um, if that's how I'm going to die, at least I'll die having fun, okay? Like, so here's the thing I hate, though, is Ferris wheels. Hate Ferris wheels. I don't know why. Like, it's just this thing of, like, crawling around, and you're just sitting up there, and here's, like, the entire time I'm sitting up toward the top of the Ferris wheel or at any point on the Ferris wheel, I'm looking at, like, everything that's holding me in place, okay? I'm looking at the things that are holding my little car onto that giant wheel, and I'm thinking, looking down, thinking about the person that put those together, all right? And I'm thinking about, like, that's not very much that's holding me in here, and I really have to trust that person that they, they did the right thing and that they, they like, double-checked their work and that these things are going to hold together and I'm not going to die. And for whatever reason, the extra time that you have to think about all that on a Ferris wheel just gets me. Like, it just does, right? And the fear, the fear hits me um, at that point. Um, a, a couple weeks ago, I had the chance to go up um, and, and on an airplane ride in a smaller airplane um, with, with someone who goes to church here. And I remember we flew for like 45 minutes to an hour and we landed and we did some stuff and then we were flying back. And I, I had been totally good the whole time. And I told him later, I was like, and all of a sudden I started looking at the wall of the airplane and the little thin door that was right next to me. And like looking down and like, man, that's not much between me and, and dying. Like, like if that little, like something, fa like it, this could end really poorly. And, and I had this moment where it was like, 
all of a sudden, I started, like, my heart, my heart rate started to elevate, and I started to feel anxiety, and I was like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. How many times have I flown before? And, like, just chill out. Like, if this is how you're going to die, like, enjoy, enjoy it on the way out, okay? So, like, you know, that's kind of been my attitude. Whenever, whenever I'm doing something, like, I, I had that experience in Africa one time when we were driving down the road and uh, south of uh, Addis Ababa, we were heading down um, for this conference, and uh, they were doing work on the freeway. They actually had, like, full-on freeways uh, in and around Addis and in Ethiopia there. And as we drove south, they were doing road work on our side of the road. And so, you know how usually, like, there'll be a detour or they'll just narrow it down to one lane or whatever? Well, they had, like, the freeway close sign across the front, and I just looked at it, and I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to get off, or what, what's going to happen? And without missing a beat, our driver just merged across the freeway into the other lane, like the other side of the freeway, and we started driving down what would have been the left-hand lane for their side of the freeway, just like it's normal, right? So now we're driving at freeway speeds down the left lane in the opposite direction. The people are coming in the other way, like commercial trucks. There's people with, like, horse-drawn carts on the shoulder that are, like, we're zooming by in bo on both sides, and there's everything. And I remember like feeling that same sense of anxiety and being like, like, I think I'm going to die here. I don't think I'm going to make it home. Like this is going to be it. So like, if this is how Jesus wants to take me home, I might as well chill out and enjoy it. Right? Like might as well enjoy the ride. Like, so um, fear has an interesting, like it has an interesting dynamic, right? Because it can cause us, what fear does is it, a lot of times it can trigger this thing that causes us to narrow our focus. It causes us to narrow our focus onto something. And when our focus gets narrowed, it gives us this, this tunnel vision and causes us to focus on this point that's triggering our fear or that's causing our fear. And when we allow fear to overwhelm us, it can drive us to make decisions and do things that, that, that are actually irrational, that aren't the rational thing to do. And it's not always the best thing for us to do in the bigger picture. But we're so focused on that one thing that's causing this fear that it just triggers this thing in us and causes us to act in a certain way. And if you think about your life and think about uh, people that you've interacted with and situations that you've been in, people throughout history have understood this dynamic of fear. They've understood that if they could put fear in the hearts of the people around them, that it would cause them to narrow their focus and, and, and do things that otherwise would be irrational. And so we can look back through history, and we can see entire societies and entire countries and entire nations doing things that seem irrational to us. We're like, man, if I was alive during that day, I would have done things way differently. But what we don't understand, necessarily, is what those people were feeling and what, what their culture, what their society, the, the fear that was being put onto them. It was causing them to narrow their focus and make decisions and make choices that seem totally irrational to us. And if they honestly had a chance to look back in their life and later on, if they survived whatever situation it was, they probably looked back and said, man, that was super irrational. That wasn't something that I would do again. How do we get caught up in that? It's really interesting. Yeah, pe people have understood this idea of using fear to manipulate and motivate other people as long as, as long as people have been around, since sin entered into the world. People have used this idea of fear to manipulate and motivate other people. And what we see in the book of Nehemiah 
is this repeated attempt for, for, for these people to use fear to motivate Nehemiah and the people that he's working with who are repairing the walls around Jerusalem. And, and they're trying to use fear to manipulate them into not doing the mission that they've set out to do, which is repairing the walls. You see, if they're able to repair the walls, it's going to restrict the access that these people have to come in and take advantage of the people in the city of Jerusalem. And it's going it's, it, it's, it's to take away their ability to control and manipulate what goes on in the city of Jerusalem. And so they're using fear to try to motivate them to not complete this mission, to not uh, finish what they've started in building this wall. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, where we pick up, we've seen, um, we've seen a lot of work. We've seen a lot of things happening in Nehemiah so far. If you haven't been here, the, 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 the general story of Nehemiah is that it's set at the end of the time of, 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 of the nation of Israel, at the time of the Old Testament. And what's happened is the nation of Israel has been scattered into these foreign lands. And, and multiple kingdoms have come through. They took out um, the nation of Israel. Now they've taken out the nation of Judah. They've carried them off into captivity. They've destroyed the city of Jerusalem, torn down the temple, torn down the walls. And it's just in utter ruins. And there's very few people living there at this point because it's not a great place to live due to the condition that it's in. And so God finally opens up, after, after this 70-year period, he opens up the opportunity for, for, for the Israelites to move back into the land. And a small portion of them do that, and they move back into the land that God has promised to their forefathers. And, and so they, they show back up, and the first thing, after a while, when they get back into the land, the first thing that happens is that they rebuild the temple. And we see that story play out in the book of Ezra, which is just before Nehemiah in the Old Testament. So we see him rebuild the, the temple, and there's, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of opposition as they go through that. But then Nehemiah comes along, and he's a guy who has an elevated status in the kingdom of the time. He's actually the cupbearer for the king, and he's, he's the guy who <laughs> has an awesome job, but also could be a really not awesome job, Right? Like, the king is enjoying the best foods and drinks available in the kingdom, right? Every day, he eats the best of the best. And Nehemiah, as his cupbearer, is sampling everything that's coming through to make sure that it's not poisoned and that no one's trying to take out the king by poisoning his food. So Nehemiah, every day, gets to, gets to eat the best of the best foods and drinks in the kingdom. That's the upside. The downside is, if it's poisoned, he's going to die, Right? So it's kind of like this, this two-sided deal for him. So Nehemiah, he's a guy who, who loves God and loves his people Israel, the people of Israel. And you, you, you can see that because early in the story, you see Nehemiah uh, hearing about what's going on in Jerusalem, that the walls are broken down, that, that, that the people aren't able to worship in the temple as, as, as they should, that Jerusalem is in ruins and, and, and the people of Israel... The core of their identity, which is that the city of Jerusalem and the worship of God, isn't able to flourish. And so really the heart of the people of Israel isn't able to thrive. The thing that they're supposed to be organized around, centered on worshiping God and the presence of God, this place, this temple, isn't able to be fully effective 
because of the state of the city around it. And it breaks Nehemiah's heart, and he cries out to God. He says, God, give us a way to change this. And Nehemiah, this whole book is a book about how to overcome fear. Because Nehemiah starts out, and he's afraid, because no one comes into the presence of the king with a disappointed uh, disposition. People, like, like, the king has the power. Uh, Pastor David was talking about it a few weeks ago. The king has the power at the beginning of the series. He has the power to snap his fingers, and you're, you're, you're going to die. If, if you displease the king... Like, your life is going to get a lot worse or it's going to end. And so Nehemiah fully understands that, but he feels so sad. He comes into the presence of the king, and for the first time ever, he's, he's downcast. And the king asks him, what's going on? And Nehemiah tells him, he says that he prays to God, and then he tells the king what's going on. And the king's like, well, what do you want to, how can I help you with that situation? And God opens up these doors and opens up these opportunities for Nehemiah to step into this broken place and repair this literal physical broken place of Jerusalem and the walls around Jerusalem. And so he moves towards that, and God continues to open doors and give him favor with the king and, and put him in this position where he's able to ask the king. And you can just see God's hand working through the entire story of Nehemiah. And so he shows up in Jerusalem, and he, and he goes around, and he inspects the wall, and and, and sees all the places it's broken down, and he comes back, and he casts this vision for what life is going to be like in the city of Jerusalem for the people, and they, they gather around, and he shares with them what God has done in moving the heart of the king and, 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 and freeing up and bringing the resources that they need to rebuild the wall and giving them the, the authority and the resources to be able to do this. And the people rally around, and people from the towns and the villages all around come in to help. In the past couple chapters, we've been seeing how that works and how that plays out, and we've been seeing the people rebuilding the wall. But we've also been seeing the enemies of Jerusalem, the enemies of the Israelites come against them, the ones who, who've been able to manipulate and take advantage and prey on these people don't want that wall to be rebuilt. And so they throw everything they can at them. Back in chapter 4, we saw, we saw these people actually coming to physically attack them. To the point where Nehemiah, with, with the workers that, that he had, he said that every other worker, one person would carry the tools in their hand. He would have tool, his tool in one hand, and he would have his, his sword strapped on his side. And for every worker, there would be one person standing guard in the open places in the wall to repel the attackers. So these people had, 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 had determined and attempted to kill them and come after them physically. They tried to kill him. Nehemiah's response had been to continue to trust God, that the God who was able to bring the resources and bring everything else to, to, to bear, to make this mission happen, that he would be faithful to see it to completion. And so Nehemiah led the people through this fear and through these challenges. And, and we pick up here in Nehemiah chapter 6, in that place where they pushed through and we're going to see three more challenges here. So coming off the heels of, 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 of attempting to outright just attack them and kill them, <laughs> we see three more challenges. And I just want you to think about, man, where, where have you faced opposition in your life? Have you ever had someone who, who just continually came against you? 
Somebody who seems set to do you harm. Somebody who, 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 who tried multiple strategies, multiple approaches to, to doing you harm or holding you back or do, doing whatever against you, seeking to bring you down. I want you to think about those things as we, as we read through these, these three ways that, that the enemy comes after Nehemiah. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 4 first here. Here's what he has to say. Now, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me. So they send him some type of messenger, some type of letter. We find out later it's an actual messenger. Okay? So they send to him saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. So they're sending to, to Nehemiah, and they're like, hey, come out here, come away from the city of Jerusalem, and we just want to meet with you. Like, let's, let's hang out, we can talk, we can work this thing out, and we, we can figure out a way forward. They offer him, kind of seemingly offering him this olive branch, <laughs> or this opportunity to talk and figure things out. But Nehemiah sees right through it. He says, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages, messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? It says, and they sent me four times in this way. They sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. So these people are, are, are being persistent. They're continuing to, to four times they sent him this message. Hey, come out here, meet with us. He's like, no, you're like, do you think I forgot that you were just trying to kill me? Like, <laughs> this is called discernment. This is called something called discernment. We have to be able to look and, and be aware of people's motives. When we're interacting with people and they've been against us and they, they, all those things, we have to be aware of their motives. And discernment is something that's, that's, that's separate from forgiveness. If someone's harmed us, if someone's done something against us, it's important for us to forgive them. But moving forward, it's also important for us to have discernment. Forgiving doesn't mean that we just, we just forget about everything that's happened in the past and take whatever they have moving forward, whatever they're saying, whatever they're doing. We, we need to use discernment to move forward as we move forward especially in cases like this, where people are actively trying to harm Nehemiah. So it says they sent to him four times. Four times. Hey, come meet with us. No. I mean, there's multiple levels that they're trying to do. They're trying to get him to stop the work, number one. They know as soon as Nehemiah's gone, the work's probably going to stop because the leadership's gone. Number two, they're trying to do him harm. They've already tried to, they've shown that they've tried trying to kill him. So most likely they're trying to kill him. They're trying to get him out in the open, away from the people who are with him, and, and, and take him out. So we see those things, and, and, and they try, and they try, and they try, and they try, and Nehemiah rejects it. And so in verse 5, it says, in the same way, so for, sorry, the first strategy is they try to act like, let's be friends. They try to act like, hey, hey, remember, like, we did that thing? Like, don't worry about that. We just, we just want to be friends. Oh, okay. 
I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to walk away from what God has called me to do, to come and, and, and expose myself and make myself vulnerable to you. So strategy number one is, is hey, forget about all that stuff. Let's, let, let, let's just be friends. And that doesn't work, right? So when that doesn't work four times, you can imagine they're getting more and more frustrated each time, each no, just raises their, their level of anger towards Nehemiah even more. It says in the same way in verse 5, Sambalet for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. So he comes with this open letter. It says, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it. So you remember who Geshem is? Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sambalet, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arabs, the rest of our enemies heard, they had built the wall. So Geshem, known enemy of Nehemiah, right? <laughs> and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, and now... Now the king will hear of these reports. So now, come, and let us take counsel together. So when, when, when you, you've heard the phrase, honey catches more flies than vinegar or whatever, right? Catch more flies with, with honey than vinegar. So uh, Samblet and Tobiah, I guess they had heard that phrase as well. So they attempted the honey approach. And now they're trying the outright manipulation approach. They're like, hey, you know the guy that you work for? And you know, you, you've seen how he responds when, when he gets angry, right? You've been in the palace and you've seen how he responds to people when they rise up against him or when, 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 when his subordinates are insubordinate. When someone gets the idea in their head that they're going to take a piece of this kingdom for themselves, you've seen how the king responds and how the king reacts. Well, guess what? We're going to send them the message that you're doing that, that that's you, that that's really what you meant to do in this situation. So once again, they're trying to instill fear into Nehemiah. They're trying to get his focus to narrow. They're trying to get him to, to, to act in an irrational way, to take his eyes off of what God is calling him to do and focus on this threat that they're presenting in front of him. And Nehemiah his response is incredible. And I love their, I, the, the last line. Like, now come, let us take counsel together. Let us help you. Help me help you, Nehemiah. Help me help you by killing me. <laughs> so come, let us take counsel together. And then he says in, in verse 8, Then I sent to him, I sent to him saying, No such things as you say have been done. For you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us. This is the editorial. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. So Nehemiah, he sees right through all of these, all these tactics, all these strategies. He sees right through what, what, so by, what, what Sambalat and Tobiah, I tried to say Sobiah, I tried to combine Sambalat and Sobiah, whatever, okay? So, what Sambalat and Tobiah, what, what they're trying to do, everything that they're trying to do, Nehemiah is seeing right through it. He's seeing right through everything that they're throwing at him. 
How is he able to do that? How is he able to do that? It says, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And here's the key to how he's doing that. He says, but now, O God, strengthen my hand. Nehemiah, in the face of fear, in the face of these anxiety-inducing moments, when people are trying to tell him, your life is in danger, we're, we're going to lie about you, we're going to go tell your boss who, who flips out and kills people at the drop of a hat when they displease him. Remember the guy that you couldn't even go into his presence as his cupbearer? Someone had this long-standing relationship with him. Like, this guy who, who you were afraid to go in there not looking super excited and super happy because you thought he might kill you. Imagine how he's going to respond when, when he hears that you're going to make yourself king in Jerusalem. Imagine what that's going to be like. Nehemiah sees right through it because he trusts that God is with him. You know, I was driving over here this morning, and um, I live over by Lions Park. So I come down Cedar Ravine, if you're familiar with the area. So I come down Cedar Ravine, and a lot of times, um, I don't know, there's kind of a couple ways you can go. You can either come down Main Street, or you can go up over the hill um, that uh, runs up by Rotary Park and everything, right? And drops down behind the post office. So I'm driving up over that hill, because a lot of times it's a faster way. So driving up over that hill, and I'm looking straight up, and I just saw the moon in the sky. It wasn't quite a full moon. It was pretty full. And it just struck me this morning. Like, looking up at the moon, you know, I've, I've seen the moon in a lot more impressive states at night. The other, the other night, earlier this week, it was full, and it was so bright, and it was gorgeous. And, and Megan and I were driving home that evening, and we saw the moon, and it was just amazing. But this morning, it just hit me. Like, the moon is so far away, and I know we've, we've been there, but there's things that are so much further and so much greater and such a greater distance from us, and that God created each and every one of those things. And the God who holds all of those things in his hand, and the, the God who created all of those things, including that moon that I'm looking at this morning, man, if he brought all of this into being, and he is so much greater than all of it, why should I be afraid of things that are right in front of me in my life? If I know that that God is leading me down a path, is, is, is calling me to do something for his kingdom, is inviting me to partner with him to advance his kingdom and to do his work and to see his work be done through in me and through me, why should I be afraid of the things that come against me that only want to stop that? You know, Satan's biggest, <laughs> Satan's biggest fear is, is that the kingdom will continue to advance. And he fights with everything he has against that. And whether that's God's kingdom advancing inside of your own heart, and you taking steps to, to create a daily rhythm of connecting with God through his word and through prayer, or through just simply sitting out somewhere beautiful, in nature, looking at creation and worshiping God. Saying, wow, God, thank you for this. Or something as simple as responding to seeing the moon. Like, wow, God, thank you. You are good. Or whether it's something external, something that you're working towards to see some transformation, to see some change in the lives of your, of your, of your family members and your, your community or, or wherever else. 
Wherever, wherever God is working in you and through you to see his kingdom advance, Satan is coming against that with everything that he has. He's using all of the strategies to distract you and to get you to be afraid and to give up. Nehemiah saw through him, but man, there's been so many times in my life when my focus has narrowed. When I've gotten focused on the thing that Satan is putting in front of me, the thing that he's putting there to distract me, to take my eyes off of my Savior, to take my eyes off of, 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 of the God of the universe, and to get me to stop moving forward and, and towards whatever that thing is, we see over and over again, Nehemiah's response is to bring these fears, to bring these situations, to bring these challenges back to Jesus. He says, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. The third attempt that we see in verses 10 through 14, we're going to finish this up here. Nehemiah 10, 6, 10 through 14. He says, now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, so Nehemiah is going over someone's house. He goes in, and this person says to Nehemiah, he says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Okay, sounds pretty good so far, right? Going to the temple where God, worship God maybe, whatever. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Nehemiah also, he's like, wait a second, what? So once again, someone's telling him, hey, they're coming to kill you. You should go, hide yourself in the temple, close the doors so that you can be safe, so that they can't get to you. Trying to narrow his focus, get him to, instead of living in faith, to live in fear. It says in verse 11, But I said, should such a man as I run away? Nehemiah is living in faith, you guys. Nehemiah is not living in fear. He looks at this person and says, should a man such as I live in fear? Should I run away? You want me to run? From what? From the people who are trying to kill me? Yeah, they've done that. From the people who are trying to lure me out to kill me? Yeah, they've done that. Should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. It says, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So once again, they're, they're, they're using another tactic, another strategy, another angle to try to get at Nehemiah. But Nehemiah once again responds, seeing right through it, and here's his response, ultimately. He doesn't go home and start plotting for how he can take out Sambalat, Tobiah, and this guy, whoever else, all of his enemies. He doesn't go home and start talking to his friends about how they can take revenge and go and get back at them. He says this in verse 14, Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Nehemiah continually lifts up all these situations to God. We said before, kingdom advancement will always bring opposition. For Nehemiah, it was fixing this wall so that the people could fully worship God. 
without distraction, without anything else getting in their way, other people coming in. But for us, what does that look like? Where do we partner with God to see his kingdom advance? Where does that kingdom work happen in our lives? Once again, I want to suggest that, man, it starts in our own heart. And Satan is hell-bent on stopping it. He's doing everything that he can to convince you not to move forward towards Jesus. To get your focus in on yourself, to turn your eyes down from up looking at Jesus and to get your eyes focused in on you and just self-preservation. It restricts our ability to make this impact, to see God's kingdom come in our own lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our communities, and around the world. God has such bigger vision and dreams for us than we can ever imagine. God uses us to impact so many more people than we can even imagine. Just one encouraging word to someone could make all the difference in the world for them. And you never know how many lives that that will impact in the coming days, weeks, months, and decades, and however long beyond that. Until Jesus returns. You never know what a difference that one word, one little thing can make. And when Satan gets in our ear and gets in our head and says, you don't know that person, why would you say something to them? You know what that person said about you, why, why, why would you try to encourage them? They don't want to hear what you have to say. It shuts us up. It cuts off that impact. Satan is constantly coming after us and in opposition, the opposition doesn't quit easily as we're seeing in Nehemiah. It comes again and again and again, four times the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it, the goal of it is to instill that fear that narrows our focus. But when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus like Nehemiah did, that he placed his faith and his trust in his God, it widens our perspective. When we live in faith and we trust Jesus with everything that we have and everything that we are, it widens our perspective and allows us to continue forward, making an impact for his kingdom. Even when wave after wave of things keep coming against us, it allows us to continue to move forward. Even when we feel discouraged by the lack of, of, of forward progress that maybe we feel like is happening, when we're ready to give up and walk away, when, when, when we're ready to just turn in and just focus on us, and say, you know what, I'm going to control what I can control, and other people, they can be responsible for themselves. That's the fear talking. Psalm 27, King David has, I'm just going to read this and we're, we're going to we'll wrap up this morning. King David lived a life of enemies coming after him. And, and, and some of his uh, troubles, obviously, just like ours are, self-inflicted. But nonetheless, King David lived this life of, of facing opposition and facing enemies who, who very much wanted to literally kill him and take his life. And here's David's response in Psalm 27. He says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is, it is they who stumble and fall. 
Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for the false witnesses, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look on the goodness upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. King David and Nehemiah understood this one thing. They understood that their security, that their life was not in the hands of their adversaries, but it was in the hands of their God. They understood that it was in him that they found refuge. It was in him that they found security. It was in him that they found life. And if they could trust themselves to him, and, 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 and Jesus is inviting us, he's inviting us to have the same perspective. He's inviting us, instead of living in fear and narrowing our perspective, instead to live in faith and broadening our perspective broadening our vision to see the things that God is putting in front of us. To see the ways that he's calling us to make an impact and to see the ways that he is inviting us to partner with him to see his kingdom come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's not be a people of fear. Let's not let Satan get inside of our heads. Let's instead be a people of faith. Who along with David and along with Nehemiah, Step towards the brokenness. Step towards the battle. Step towards the fight. And lead people forward to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. Let's be that type of presence in this community as a church. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your, your power. We thank you so much that you do hold everything in your hands and that we can entrust you with everything that we are and everything that we have and that there's nothing that can come against us that, 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 that can overpower you. Because, Lord, you created it all. There may be people who are making choices or making decisions and, and, that want to harm us and want to come against us and don't want to see your kingdom come. And there are forces of evil that do come against us. As we seek to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts, in our lives, in, in our families, in our homes, in our community, and around the world. But God, we also know that 
on you, on who you are, the confession of faith in you, that you will build your church and that the, the gates of hell will not withstand it. That we are pushing forward, that we are bringing hope and life and love into this world that so desperately needs it. Jesus, would you help us to be those people who fix our eyes on you and bring hope and bring life and bring love and see your kingdom come here in this community, in our homes, in your homes. I pray these things in your name. Amen.